fans, teachhoops.com slash 816basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at CompetitivePod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a high school coach, a college coach, an assistant coach, a head coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. And we have a guest today that has been a couple of those things. He's been a high school coach. He's been a college coach. He's been an assistant coach at the college level, uh, a head coach. He's been uh, around the block a couple of times, and he is the former head coach at Felician University in Rutherford, New Jersey, and Lodi, New Jersey. In two, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just floored every time I talk to somebody from New Jersey, but he is Dave DeFerrari. Welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Brian, Rutherford and Lodi are about six and a half minutes apart, so it's not like (laughs) – Well, in New Jersey, that's about 11 towns away then. It is. You're right. That is. (laughs) And accounting for traffic, it's about an hour drive. Yeah, I was going to say, it could take anywhere from an hour to two hours. Exactly. (laughs) you're putt-putting down route 17 <laughs> yeah. well speaking of driving we mentioned uh, in, in pre-show chatter about joe scott which is episode 78 he's at caldwell new jersey just thinking about that drive that he makes from rutgers as a as a, a, a academic counselor or advisor to caldwell and it's not that far on the map but i can't remember if it's an hour hour and a half he spends in the car one way so yeah i've, I've lived that a little bit coming up there to visit your crystal blasio trap <laughs> there is legendary <laughs> yes yes i don't know how he does it to be honest with you he, he uh, coach just a quick side note as brian's talking about that i lived down in south carolina for 10 years it's a brian and i met and i'm like the first six months i was down there someone said oh the traffic was really bad today and i was like what traffic what are you talking about <laughs> traffic are you kidding what, me? there was three cars on the road or yeah something? i was like so it took you an extra two minutes to get to work that's not traffic <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but coach, why don't you take us through uh, your basketball resume and your stops along the way and, and how you got to uh, eventually become the head coach at Felician and, and all the things that you've done so far in your career? Well, um, I guess I kind of got the coaching bug uh, when I was in college. Um, I was, uh, I mean, growing up, I played a lot of sports. I, you know, I played all the sports, baseball, basketball, kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, then, then kind of just kind of zeroed in on basketball uh, once I really got to the high school. Uh, but I was always that kid who, um, you know, was working at the rec department, uh, coaching the peewee baseball teams, uh, doing the book at the bitty basketball, of, uh, you know, umpire in Little League, 
you know, uh, working down at the park in the summer times. So I was, I was always around sports and athletics and recreation um, and, and kind of knew I wanted to do something in that area, uh, whether it be a phys ed teacher or a recreation director or, or what have you. Um, never really thought much about coaching until I got to college. Um, and when I got to college, um, I, had a, uh, I had a pretty uh, close relationship with my college coach. Um, and he used to work these basketball camps in the summertime, which a lot of coaches do, and which I did also later on. So in the summers when I was in college, he would take me to these camps. And um, so I think it, it was probably between the fret, my, maybe my sophomore and, and junior year of college. Um, he took me to a camp, and I can't honestly, I believe it was the Casey Jones basketball camp. Now I'm dating myself right there because Casey Jones at the time was maybe the coach of the Celtics. So this is early eighties. If not, he had just stopped being coach of the Celtics. Um, so lo and behold, I get there, I get this team, to coach and I win the championship. Now winning a championship at camp is really not that big of a deal. But to a college kid who doesn't really know that it's not that big of a deal, you know, to me, that was like the greatest, one of the greatest things that could ever happen to me. And, you know, and I thought to myself, wow, I must be a really good coach. No, I just <laughs> happened to have the best player in camp. But, but that's really what, really what uh, spurred me on to, uh, to, 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 to maybe pursue this because I really had a great time coaching uh, that week and I really enjoyed it. And the kids really seemed to respond to me. So I just kind of got the bug from there and um, uh, worked a few more camps while I was in college and started to meet some people and started to learn a few more things and decided that I wanted to coach when I, when I got out of college. Now I didn't want to uh, never thought I'd become a college coach, my aspiration was to become the eighth grade coach in, in Secaucus. That's the town I grew up in, Secaucus, New Jersey. So, um, so I talked to a few of the people to be to, and I was kind of slated to be the eighth grade coach. And to me, you might as well tell me I was coaching Duke, you know, because I was just so happy to be able to coach a team. Well, lo and behold. Between that conversation and the start of the basketball season, the freshman job at the high school opened up, then the JV job opened up. So I became the JV coach. So my first coaching job out of high school was uh, out of college was JV at uh, Secaucus High School, which was my alma mater. Trying to keep it short, that led to two years at St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City, um, which uh, at the time, um, that was when St. Anthony's was really starting to um, to uh, really make its name as a national program. So that was I was coaching against the, the St. Anthony's team. Chris will be familiar. That had Bobby Hurley on it, Jerry Walker. Jerry Walker, yeah, right. Those guys. So it was obviously kind of a different level every night. Jersey City, Hudson County basketball um, is very competitive. Much more even competitive then than it is now. Um, great teams, great coaches. Um, every game was intense. 
And again, I just really, you know, uh, took to it. I just loved it. I loved the atmosphere and I loved that competitiveness every night. And, and that's where I really learned to do scouting reports and, um, uh, and, and, and work, uh, you know, work on individual skills with kids and practice and really hone, hone my coaching skills. Learned a lot uh, in those two years. I worked with a guy named Dave September. He's still a very good friend. Um, and I really learned a lot from that experience. Um, and then my college coach, who I told you I was kind of um, close with, his name is Bob Sherlock. He had moved on to a different school. And um, he had always told me that I had a standing offer to be one of his assistant coaches. Whenever I wanted to be, uh, you know, but he was up in Vermont. I went to school in Vermont. Um, but he had told me, whenever I'm ready, if I'm ever ready to make the, the leap, I have a standing offer. So I called him up and I said, is that offer still available? And he said, yeah. So I went up and I was, uh, I became his assistant coach. He was at Castleton State College at the time and um, up in Castleton, Vermont. And this is kind of a, a, a funny story. Um, I'm with him actually probably about two weeks. And my cousin gets the athletic director's job at Clinton Community College in Plattsburgh, New York. He gets the job on, I'll just say, October 1st. By October 15th, his coach had left. His coach quit. <laughs> he tried to hire a few guys. Didn't work out. So in desperation, he calls me. He says, I need a coach. Do you want, it? you want the job? So I take it. So I leave Castleton after about two weeks. And I go to Plattsburgh, New York, to become the to be the head coach at Clinton Community College. Now, I arrive on a Tuesday. Our first game is Friday. I have three days of practice before our first game. <clears throat> One of them is outdoors because we couldn't get the gym. So I had practice on Tuesday. Wednesday, we practiced outdoors in the parking lot because we couldn't get the gym. And I don't know if you guys ever been to Plattsburgh, New York. Well, I was going to, I was going to tell Brian, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but <laughs> Brian okay. Plattsburgh is way closer to Montreal than any other city in America. Okay. Okay. So yes. that's where Plattsburgh, New York is just to yes. give you an indication of how cold it is in November in Plattsburgh. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. So imagine me with a team in a parking lot in Plattsburgh, New York, you know, with no basket, just going through out of bounds plays and, and uh, running some sprints or whatever. I, I forget exactly what we did. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I had him for three days. We went and played our first game in Canada, coincidentally, Chris. Our first three games were in Canada. And um, so you know what that brings. That's international rules. So here I am trying to call timeouts, and the officials aren't giving them to me. And <laughs> it's, it was just a whole mess. But anyway, we won our first game, and um, but then we lost the next two, and and then just kind of went on from there. But um, but I spent two years in in Plattsburgh, New York, and then I came. I decided that Plattsburgh was not the place for a Jersey guy to be, so uh, so I came back home, 
And, and honestly, I really probably wasn't ready to be a head coach. I, I essentially went from being a JV uh, high school coach to being a head college coach at a very young age. So I probably, although I didn't know it at the time and, and I was very confident in my abilities, um, I, you know, looking back on it, I probably wasn't seasoned enough at, at the time to be a head coach, especially at the junior college level, because that's, uh, you know, that's a whole different animal. Um, one, one that I was probably not really prepared for. Um, so anyway, and, and, and I rec also recognize that I should probably be an assistant, learn from other people. And also at the time I realized that I need a master's degree because I didn't have my master's. And if, and really, if you're going to, uh, uh, you know, make your way in, 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 in college athletics, you really should have a master's degree. Um, so I came back home and I enrolled in Montclair State University to get my master's degree. And I went to become an assistant at Rutgers Newark University. Um, and I was there for six years. We, 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 we were in a kind of a rebuilding mode when I first got there, but we, uh, we, uh, we got it turned around. We actually won the ECAC tournament one year, which is, uh, which is, is it's kind of akin to the NIT for division three. Not exactly because it's not a national tournament; it's more of a regional thing. But um, but that you know that for for our program at the time that was a, a, a pretty big accomplishment because it 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 had, it had shown that we arrived. Um, and I coached there uh, with a guy uh, for a guy named Jim Hill, who um, Jim Chris was an assistant at Uppsala. Um, okay. <laughs> during those years when they were during those years when they were a, a national powerhouse, he had also been an assistant at FDU uh, for Tom Green. Okay. Um, so who I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, so he had a pretty good resume. I learned a lot from him, um, and that really really prepared me to to to, to become a head coach. Um, so I was lucky enough to get the head coaching job at John Jay College in New York City. Um, I spent two years there as the head coach. Um, uh, and again, somewhat of a little bit of a fish out of water. You would think it's New York City and Jersey, you know, Manhattan's just over the river, but it's a whole nother world basketball wise. And, um, and, and again, I was kind of a fish out of water there. Um, uh, and uh, didn't have much success, although I feel like I probably, if I was able to stay longer, I would have had some success. But, um, but it just didn't work out. So I came back to Jersey, and that's when I went to Caldwell. Um, I was lucky enough to, by that time, have forged a good relationship with Coach Carino over at Caldwell. Uh, you know, it's, they were Caldwell College at the time. They're Caldwell University now. Um, and he had a spot on his staff. And, and luckily enough, he also had a full time uh, position in his athletic department. Um, so it was kind of a no brainer for me to to go there and work with him. For I was there for seven years as his assistant. We won a, a, a conference championship during the time I was there. Um, and again, really, uh, really learned a lot um, from that experience, learned a lot from Coach Carino. But also just again, now you're at Division two. So you've taken a step up. And levels um it's it's now kind of become a full-time job for you um 
and um, so really, really hone my skills. And, and really there uh, from Coach Carino learned not – I learned – I'm not going to say I didn't learn about X's and O's and learned about basketball and so forth, but I really learned about running a program, just, you know, overseeing and running an, an overall basketball and athletics program. So um, so it was, you know, it, it was very, very uh, – educational for me and and I and I really do owe a lot to coach Carino uh, from that standpoint from just watching him in a, on a daily basis and how he just ran his program uh, from academics to to um, community to you know to everything that goes into running a successful program um, and then again lucky enough again you know you're, you're in the league for seven years I guess you get you kind of make a name for yourself a little bit. And I was able to uh, become the head coach of Felician University, which is one of the Caldwell's rivals. <laughs> Same league right down the road, not too far from each other. And, uh, and then I was, I was spent six years at Felician as the, uh, as the head coach and uh, was lucky enough to win a, a conference championship there. So um and really and been all around what's that been all around the state i always say you know i i mean i never uh you know had asked real have had strong aspirations to 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 go to the big time i like coaching at the small levels but in coaching even at the smaller levels you usually have to move around a lot you know move move you know around the country to kind of move up the ladder i was able to stay live in sea caucus not have to move and still move up the ladder, so to speak, to, to start as, a, as an assistant division three coach to head division three up to the D two level and then head division two without ever having to leave home. Yeah. So I was lucky. I was lucky from that standpoint. A couple of quick things from that coach. Uh, number one, you talked about your experience as a camp counselor. You have foreshadowed a couple of episodes coming up for us. We're going to have our great friend, Bill old on a future episode and talk about camp coaching and that you, he would always say when he would run camp, you don't get a bonus for winning the camp championship. No, <laughs> some guys think they, I think, think they do, but uh, no, you don't get a bonus. And then uh, you mentioned uh, oh, you mentioned FDU and Tom Green. Brian doesn't even know this. One of our future guests that we have scheduled to come on was a former Tom Green FDU ball boy and is uh, now the coach at Rutgers Prep, College, uh, Rutgers Prep High School. And uh, you talk about going from a JV coach to all of a sudden being a college coach. Or no, you even you said you started out as you just wanted to be the eighth grade coach and you were happy with that. We had a former guest on, Brian, I don't know if you remember, uh, Coach Mongelia, who's now at Princeton as an assistant. He was the uh, Riverdale uh, middle school coach, and six years later, he was coaching at Princeton University. So you never know where these steps can take you. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, just to kind of uh, piggyback on the camp point, um, I worked a lot of camps when I was a younger coach. Um you know, I worked the Seton Hall camp, the Rutgers camp. I went out to Notre Dame uh, camp. I worked Eastern Invitationals, which was the uh, the forerunner to today's hoop group. Um, you know, the five stars. Uh, you know, the, my early years of coaching, probably my first five to ten years, I was I worked a, a, a camp pretty much every week in the summer. There was one summer I went eight street weeks in a row working, and not the same camp, different camps. Yep. So. 
And this was back in the day when you camps went from Sunday to Friday. Now they go from like Monday to Thursday. But <laughs> this was Sunday to Friday. You finish up Friday, three, four o'clock. Sunday morning, I was somewhere else, you know, another part of the country, uh, getting ready to work another camp. And it really, really is where you hone, not that you hone your, 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 you do hone some of your coaching skills, but you make so many network, you make so many connections, you meet so many people, um, you know, you, you, you make friends, you make connections, but you also learn, you just, you, you meet coaches from all over the country, you learn different terminology for the same thing, you know, like in the Midwest, they call it checkout, here we call it box out. You know, just just different terminology that they use, but also just different ways of teaching the same thing, different drills, different. You know, it's really for any young coach who's listening. The best if you want to move up and real move up in the business, but really also learn how to uh, learn a lot about the game and different drills and and just different uh, methodologies work camp. Because that's that's that is your coaching education, right there. So we've we've talked about it with some guests that uh, that have been college assistants for a long time. They you know they may have played at a high level and they become a college assistant, yeah. and you know they move into these head coaching roles and they've never been a head coach before. And there's nothing right or wrong, <laughs> good or bad about that. But to me, it's just fascinating. A lot of times that the, these guys that uh, the, the first head coaching job they get is at a potentially a division one level or D2, D3, doesn't matter yeah. the, the level. You talk about just cutting your teeth at camp. And I, just to follow yeah. up with what Chris is talking yeah. about, Billy O can't wait to get him on. Um, I loved camp. And that's just where just talk about just cutting your teeth. It's just you get out there with a bunch of seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, how many are 12 year olds, doesn't matter. And just, figuring out what yeah. works. You, you know, I know yeah. I thought I knew exactly what it was, what I, what I needed to do. I knew everything. It was, you get out there trying to coach kids. It's like, wait, you're not listening to me. Like what? Now, oh, now yeah. what do I do? And it's just, it's get to develop who you are as a person, and as, as a coach. It's just a fast. Absolutely. Process. Absolutely. And then just, just the, uh, the camaraderie, you know, at night, you know, sitting around just, you know, having a few, you know, having something to eat, have a few drinks and just sitting around X and an Owen with the other coaches or just, talking about whatever, you know, uh, you just learn, you learn out of bounds plays. You learn, you just learn so much just by being around other coaches, uh, just kind of by osmosis. And, um, you know, there's really, there, there's, there's nothing else, you know, that, that would compare to that in terms of, of, of really learning yourself as a coach, as you said, and, and just learning the ins and outs. The other thing is really, I would not, you know, a lot of guys go right to college, um, guys and girls, I guess. Uh, but I really, you know, my three years of coaching high school, I would not trade those in for the world because when you coach high school, you really have to teach the game. Mm-hmm. It's not about X's and O's and how many, you know, your win or loss record or, you know, you really have to teach the game and to to in order to teach something, you have to learn it yourself. You know, I thought coming out of college, I knew the game of basketball. Well, once I started coaching, I realized how much I didn't know. And, and now I have to teach the game to, to, uh, to, you know, high school kids, freshmen, sophomores, whatever, 
Um, you know, my my I really I probably learned more about the game in those that three year span than I did in any other three year span of my coaching career. Um, so it's really, uh, you know, the work in the camps and the coaching the younger kids, as you said, in the, in the high school, you know, really teaching it. Um, you know, that's really where you where you where you where you find yourself as a coach. Yeah. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Coach. I'm a high school coach right now. And I mean, every time it is like teaching something and you re you have to reteach it and reteach it and reteach it, but you really, like you said, you hone those skills yeah. of teaching it. Uh, but the name of the podcast is the greatest games. Uh, you have a doozy for us from your time at Felician. So if you can take us into that gym, this was conference tournament time, I believe. So it's winner go home time and tell us about this amazing comeback win you had at Felician College or right. Felician well, University, excuse me. Well, I have to tell you when when I when I had to th when I had to think about my most memorable game, there's always two games that come to my mind in terms of being a memorable game for me in my life. It's this game we're going to talk about, and, but another game from when I was a player um, uh, in college. Uh, but since we're since I'm here as a coach, I guess I, I should talk about the, uh, the, the one uh, that, that I had when I was coaching. So I'm at Felician University. Um, we're playing Philadelphia University at the time. Now it's called Jefferson University. But at the time, it's Philadelphia University. And Philadelphia University, uh, um, you, you may or may not be aware, but it's coached by Herb McGee, who is a legendary Co uh, college basketball coach and, and, and you know, he's, he's known throughout all levels. Um, he's in the, he's in the basketball, the national basketball hall of fame. He has over a thousand wins. He's at, you know, he's been at, at, uh, at Jefferson now for 50 years plus. Um, it's, he's just, he's, a, he's, he's a legend. He's a legend in the coaching world and, and pretty much every coach, you know, knows of him. Um, they and they are and still are today one of the top programs in in the league it's the CACC uh, we call it the CAC Central Atlantic Collegiate Conference um you know Philly Philly or Jefferson now is is perennially one of the top teams not only in the league but in the region um they had won the league the previous two years that we were playing them so they're the big dogs Right. They're, they're the big dogs on the block. And Felician, we're the underdogs. We're the upstart. We had never been there. Felician, I think maybe one time previous had, had made it to the semifinals of the league. Uh, but that was years past. So uh, we, you know, in, in terms of a program, we were not an established program, not one of the big dogs, so to speak. Um, uh, for, the, for the guys on the team, first time playing in, in the playoffs, um, so we're, we're the, you know, we're the, the new kids on the block, so to speak. And we're playing, you know, we're playing the Boston Celtics, Montreal Canadians, New York Yankees. Right. And we're that team that's never been there before. <clears throat> um, but we had had a good year. We were 24 or I guess 23 and five or six heading into the season, into that game. Um, you know, we, we, we had a very good season and, and we definitely, you know, belong there. Um, but, you know, just kind of setting the stage for you that, you know, we walked into the gym and 
pretty much everyone in the gym expected Philly U to win the game. And uh, for the first half, that's the way it looked. They, uh, and now, yeah, you, you know, the Philadelphia, I'm going to keep their Jefferson and I apologize to, to people from Jefferson listening, but I'm probably going to call them Philly U or Philadelphia for, <laughs> for most of it. Cause that's how I know them. Um, but anyway, they, you know, they're, they're again, Herb McGee is their coach. So they're very well coached. They're very disciplined. Um, they execute to a T. Um, they, they, they get you into kind of, it's not a, a it, it's not a slowdown game. They don't push the ball. They, they'll, they'll push it on you if they have an opportunity. They don't necessarily slow it down, but they they play a decidedly half-court game. They want to execute in the half-court, and then they're going to make you execute in the half-court. And just back and forth. And they, and they believe that they're going to execute better than you in the half-court. And in most cases, they do. Um, and they just so they just kind of lull you into that medium kind of a pace of a game, you know, and they're very like I said, they're very good at, at they execute to a T and they're very good at exploiting matchups or matchup, uh, you know, where if they feel like they have a, a, an advantage advantage over you at a certain matchup, well, they're going to exploit that and they're going to they're going to keep going to that to that matchup. Uh, and they're 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 very good at, at, at doing that, and their kids all buy into that. So, um, so it, and and it was that kind of a, a game for us. You know, we're playing the first half, we're probably a little nervous. They're confident. They're the big dogs, and um, and you know, it's it's. I watched. I actually watched the the game today. I watched the the, the full game today to kind of refresh my memory of the game. And they had they ended up with a 19 point lead at halftime. They went on an 18-0 run. We were actually uh, leading. I have it written down. We were winning with the 10:48 mark. We were up 22-18. At the 3:38 mark, they were up 36-22. So wow. they outscored us 18 to nothing over the course of basically mm-hmm. seven minutes in the first half. And it was just, uh, and it was two things. Number one, they just, they're like a machine. They just keep executing offensively, coming down and running this, almost the same thing every time, but they just keep running it and running it and running it. But also they they went zone. And the zone kind of uh, screwed us up and kind of got us, you know, we didn't handle it very well. It's, it, it, and, and, and the more we didn't handle it well, the more we tried to handle it better and the worse we handled it um, because, you know, you get kids starting, starting to force things and take bad shots or make passes that aren't there. And it's so everything just kind of snowballed. Um, and so before you know it, you know, at the 10 minute mark, you're in the game. And by the time halftime rolls around, you're getting blown out. <laughs> um, so now we're going into halftime. We're down 19. It's at, you know, the game is, it was at Caldwell because it was a conference tournament game. So mm-hmm. the game was at Caldwell. Um, uh, so we're going into the locker room. We're down 19. What am I going to say to my team? We're playing Philly U again, best team in the league. They're just out executing us and out playing us in every, every area of the game. 
Um, then you just let it rip, right, Coach? Just let well, it ride. <laughs> well, I, I did summon up my my best Newt Rockney speech. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, and and I'm sure threw in a few uh, choice words. Um, <laughs> but really, the, the you know the the gist of it was of you know if I remember correctly, the gist of it was is that we weren't playing. We were playing their game. We weren't playing our game. Right. You know, and we were not. You know, whatever our identity was, we were not. We were not playing to that. We were playing right into their hands, and we, we, you know, we weren't doing what we do best. We were doing what they do, and we can't do what they do because they're better at it. You know, better at doing <laughs> what they do than we are. <laughs> we have to do what we do, and and I and I and I kind of remember just kind of saying to my guys that, um, you know, the, the the main gist was, you know, we everybody believed. Walking into that gym, everybody in that gym expected Philly U to win the game. And we played like we expected them to win the game also. Hmm. You know, like kind of almost like we were just in awe of them. Hmm. And, and, you know, and, you know, it was our first time in that game and we played like it was the first time in our game. And we played like we didn't belong. Well, we did belong. We earned our way to be in that game. We need to start playing like we belong. We need to start playing our brand of basketball and not their brand of basketball. <clears throat> and, you know, whatever I said or however I said it, I guess it struck a nerve because we came out with a lot more energy in the second half. And, um, of course, when you're down 19, uh, you know, and I'll be very honest with you. I'm saying all of this to the kids. And I really did believe that we could come back, but in my back of my mind, I would just, I'm saying to myself, I'll be happy if we just cut it to 10, you know, if we can get it to, to single digits and lose the game by less than 10 points. So the next day when people look at the score, at least we, you know, we didn't embarrass ourselves, you know, to think that you're going to realistically, you're, you're going to come all the way back and beat a, a Philadelphia university team at the time. Um, while I believed we could do it, I knew that everything really had to fall our way. So the realist in me was just saying, all right, let's just get it to 10 points. And, you know, and, and we had a good year, you had a good season. We'll hang our head on that. And we didn't get blown out. But, you know, the coach in you is, is talking to your team and, 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 and now we're saying, okay, what, and Chris, you'll probably test to this. And this is an easy one because there's 20 minutes to go and a half and you're down 20, right? So what do we need to do? By the 15-minute mark, we need to cut it to 15. By the 10-minute mark, we need to cut it to 10. By the 5-minute mark, we need to cut it to 5. By the 2-minute mark, we need to cut it to 2. And now we got an opportunity to win the game. It didn't necessarily go that way, to be honest with you, because, I'm, again, I'm looking at the stats. At the 15-minute mark, we were still down 21. At the 10-minute mark, we were down 15. And at the 5-minute mark, we were down 11. So we were a little bit behind on that philosophy. But, <laughs> but in the last five minutes, or actually the last two minutes, we were, we, we, we were uh, 
Well, last five minutes, we were down, like I said, we were down 11. Last two minutes, we were down six. With 2-12 to go, we were down six. And we ended up um, tying the game right at the end and put, sending it to overtime. So um, uh, now, how did that happen? Obviously, we got a lot of breaks. Um, well, and, and I think it could be attributed to a couple of things. Number one, I had two not-so-secret weapons, and their names were Devon Young and Antoine Oberry. And um, the final stats was Devon Young had 39 points, and Antoine Oberry had 32 points and 14 rebounds. And Devon, and those they, they were my two best players. Um, Devon actually scored the last 14 points of the game. Um, and he scored it all different ways. He scored it from the free throw line. He hit threes. He, he, he scored, hit twos. Uh, and those guys just really kind of took the game over <clears throat> um, from an offensive standpoint and, um, and really just kind of got hot and just kept going with it. And the thing about it is they're, they're two completely different kinds of players. And Antoine was very good in the open court in transition. Devon was, was very good in the half court and getting himself open and using his body and, and scoring inside and out. And that's how they scored. They scored the way they score. And, um, and it was really, uh, you know, watching it again today was really fun to just kind of watch those guys kind of take over, you know? Um, but it was um, you, you can't really take away from the other guys on the team either, because at any given moment, there were three other players on the, on the court and the energy that they brought and the, and especially in the defensive end and the, um, the uh, you know, the, the chemistry that we had on that team where it was just, it, you know, it was really was, a, 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 you know, you look at the stats and you think it was two guys, but it really wasn't. It was very much a team effort the whole year. And even in that game, it was very much a team effort. Um, and I think really what happened was we start, you know, we came out, we pressed. We were down 19 at halftime. They extended it to 23. So they, they, they scored the first four points in the second half. They had extended the lead to 23 points. And, um, and then we started pressing. And that really changed the complexion of the game. The game went from being organized to where obviously they thrive in that kind of a game because they're a very organized team to now the game's all, all of a sudden unorganized. Um, and the game just sped up just a little bit to where they kind of got a little bit off kilter. They were, they weren't executing as well. Now their, their cuts weren't as crisp. Their, their screens weren't as solid. You know, we sped them up just enough to kind of get them enough out of whack and also sped them up enough to, to where, you know, defensively they weren't able to settle in as easily. And therefore, we got some more open looks and open shots and we're able to score in transition. So the press, you know, it's not like we turned them over a lot. They only had 11 turnovers. So the press didn't work from that standpoint, but it did work from just from changing the complexion of the game. And 
obviously by doing that, once we started scoring and making the comeback and getting the, the, the momentum in our crowd, we had a lot of fans there. Crowds started getting loud. I mean, you know how it goes. I'm sure you've seen comebacks. Now we're playing with a lot more confidence. They're back on their heels. We're playing to win. They're playing not to lose. Um, and it just all kind of fell into our favor. And Devon Young hit a three. We never took the lead. Devon hit a three right at the end of regulation to tie it. And then, and probably the best play of the game, um, they they had gotten the ball in quickly, and they got the ball to one of their guards by the name of Jimmy Connolly, who had it, who was a freshman that year and went on to have a very good career for them. And he was going for what looked like a wide open layup, and out of seemingly out of nowhere, Antoine Oberry came and blocked it, and um, and it went out of bounds. Uh, and they had one last like one second to get a last second shot up, and um, they didn't score. We went to overtime. And in overtime, we outscored them fourteen to one. That that's the part that just blows me away. <laughs> like, hearing all these details is incredible, but yeah. then looking at the final score of ninety to seventy-seven, um, just absolutely, just the ups and downs in this game is just absolutely incredible. And you talk about Devon Young, and and just uh, while you're going through. Um, it's, it's just he, he he just seems like just an amazing young man and then seeing uh just a little bit of research we're doing tonight um that he was inducted into the hall of fame and now he's just giving back it's kind of full circled about back to camp life for you he's now giving back he's a part of basketball stars and out of new york uh, new york city be a hall of famer great player but here he is giving back yeah. and so just yeah. that full circle you're you're working camp and now <laughs> you pour into him and now he's working camps essentially it's just a it, all around just an amazing game it's just it's just it's just yes, incredible absolutely and Devon was he was the not only was he the best player on the team one of the best players in the league one of the best players in the history of the conference but he was our leader and as good of a player that he was he was he was in he was that good of a leader and so when, when we're down, when the chips are down, he not only just led us by scoring, he led us in every way and keeping us together and keeping us up and not letting people get down on each other. Um, yeah, he was just he was just an amazing, you know, special kid, special, special kid to coach. That's oh, well, coach, just hearing you talk about it and, and reading about it as reading along with what um, Mark Mantone sent us and. And uh, just an incredible comeback, 64 second half points. I just mind numbing. Um, and just to just to back up what coach said about Herb McGee, I was looking at it while he was talking and Herb McGee only had three losing seasons in, uh, I don't know, 112 years of coaching or whatever it was. But this is even this is even more incredible. He had 36 20 win seasons. That's gracious. Yeah. <laughs> only 36 of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's. I think he, I think you'd say he's had a pretty good career. Yeah, but coach, we'd like to end it here on a fun question. If I asked us uh, somebody who played for you, maybe back at uh, at John Jay or uh, up in um, Plattsburgh, New York, and I asked someone that played for you, if I asked Devon Young, what's the one thing Coach DeFerrari says over and over again? What was that one thing you always found yourself saying? Again, it could be a coaching point, a quote, a quip, something, you know, the kids always laughed at. But what's that one thing you said over and over again as a coach? 
You know, from listening to, to previous uh, podcasts, I knew you were going to ask me this. So I've been thinking about it, and I really don't know. I, I'm sure if you asked my my previous former players that they would they would have something to tell you. Um, I really don't know what if there was one thing I said over and over again, or one thing I said in practice. I'm sure I said a lot of things without even knowing it. Um, but I, I do think the one thing probably you said a coaching point. I think the one thing that I probably did harp on them and probably did say at least once a week in a team meeting um, is is just reminding them that of the responsibility they had to the program. And, you know, you, when you join a, 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 any kind of a group like that, whether it's a sports team or a, a musical band or or you, you want to, you know, act in the school play or, or whatever. Um, you know, if you join a, 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 an outfit like that, you have responsibility for yourself, but you also have responsibility to the, to the group. And so, and everything you do positively and negatively reflects on you, but also reflects on the whole group. So I, I used to always use the example, you know, if, you know, if you go down to Dunkin' Donuts, and you're wearing your Felician gear, you know, and you go in there and you start acting like an idiot. Well, that's going to reflect on all of us. Yep. You know? And now people are going to say, oh, those Felician basketball players are all idiots, even yep. if it's just one of them. But if you go in there and you're a good person, you're respectful and you're nice to everybody and, and, you're, and you're being a good citizen, well, now people are going to say, wow, those Felician basketball players are good guys. You know, 100%. So, yeah. and it's yes. And it's and it's and it's that way. You know, it's there. there there's a lot of uh, perks to being on a college athlete. You know, you get a, you get a lot of opportunities that other students don't get. Um, but along with those opportunities comes that responsibility and a responsibility to the program and the responsibility to represent yourself and the program in a positive fashion at all times. So <clears throat> that's probably the one thing that they got sick of hearing. Um, mm. uh, but hopefully it still resonates with them today because that's, that's a lesson, not just for basketball. It's a lesson for life. I think so. that's so, yeah, that's so huge. Our, yeah. our good friend, Kenny Pataznak, that was an assistant at South Carolina that we've been efforting. Kenny, we, we got to get you on the show, man. <laughs> but he, that was one of those things that he would harp on us, even as GAs. Hey guys, you're wearing that that block C or that USC. Uh, you're out in public. Like you're representing all of us. And sometimes I'd, I'd like, uh, I don't think anybody cares who I am. But it didn't matter. It's just we're wearing South Carolina basketball stuff. But we, like you said, we're representing uh, the the collective there. And I think exactly. And even even if you're not wearing it, you know, especially for the players, you don't realize how many people know who you are. You know, even if you you might not know who they are. But, you know, again, you, you, I use the Dunkin' Donuts, uh, you know, we have at Felician, we would have people from the community come to the games. We'd have kids from the community come to the games. You walk into Dunkin' Donuts and you're a six four, you know, obviously an athlete. And if one of those kids was at your game the night before, well, he knows who you are. You might not know. And if he's with his parents, the parents know who you are. You might not know who they are, but they know who you are. So... Again, 
Um, you always have to be wary of that. Not that you have to be looking over your shoulder and worrying about, you know, people watching you, but you always have to be wary about, you know, your standing in, in the community and your standing as, as an athlete and, and, you know, who you represent. And you represent not just yourself, but your, your, your team, but your, the athletic department, your institution. So you want, you want to make sure you're, you're doing the right things from that standpoint. I think it's great wisdom to to wrap up an incredible game, an incredible comeback. Coach Dave DeFerrari, just can't thank you enough for for coming on the show with us. This has been this has well, been thank great. you. I really I really appreciate it. I enjoy it. enjoy. It. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Coach. Enjoy yeah, it. This great for my co-host Chris De Blasio. I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Great.